Ephesians chapter 1, we're going to look at verses 4 through 6. Yes, we're blazing through now. And we're also going to look at John chapter 6. You guys want to start with a joke, though? I promise it's not a really bad Christmas joke. We, we did had a few of those. It's a really bad other joke. No, it's not bad. All right, there's these two buddies. One has a Doberman pincher. Uh, the other one has a Chihuahua. The guy with the Doberman says, hey, let's go over to that restaurant and get something to eat. The guy with the Chihuahua says, we can't do that. We've got our dogs with us. Doberman guy says, just follow my lead. They walk over to the restaurant, and the guy with the Doberman puts on a pair of dark glasses, sunglasses, as he walks in. The guy at the door says, sorry, Mac, no pets allowed. Doberman guy says, you don't understand. This is my seeing eye dog. Bouncer says, a Doberman? Yes, they're using them now. They're very good, and they protect me from robbers, too. Man at the door says, all right, come on in. So the buddy with the chihuahua <laughs> says, well, I guess it's worth a shot. So he puts on a pair of dark glasses and starts to walk in. Bouncer again says, sorry, pal, no pets allowed. Guy with the chihuahua says, you don't understand. This is my seeing eye dog. Bouncer at the door says, a chihuahua? Guy says, a chihuahua? They gave me a chihuahua? <laughs> wow. First time any joke has ever gotten applause from this pulpit. Uh, all right, so how am I going to tie that in the message? <clears throat> well, I thought of a way. Here we go. You can be cheated when you're blind. When you are blind to God's great love for you, you can be cheated from so much. Paul writes this letter, Ephesians, from a jail cell, right? I promise you, when you're blind to what God has already blessed you with, you can be cheated from having joy in jail. Paul writes both Ephesians and Philippians, and he's telling people that are outside of jail, hey, be joyful, it's, life is awesome. What? If you're blind to God's riches, you can be cheated from having joy in jail, from peace in poverty. You can be cheated from having sweet serenity in sickness. Last Sunday, we began this book, the book of Ephesians. And if you were here, do you remember the summary sentence? Two phrases cover this whole book. Chapters 1 through 3, this is the phrase. You are wealthy. You're wealthy. I know, you don't believe it, but as we get through the book, I'm hoping you will. You are wealthy. And then verses four, chapters 4 through 6, here's the second half of that. Now, walk worthy. You're wealthy. Now, walk worthy. That's the whole book. See, chapters 1 through 3, you are wealthy. No matter what your wallet says, God has made you rich. And what Paul is trying to do here is open our eyes to how rich we are. I can't think of a more appropriate time to go through this book. With the economy the way it is, we are rich. And, and the verse that launches this whole theme, you find in chapter 1, verse 3, look at it. The verse that launched a thousand blessings, if you will. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Okay, that's the first half of this book. Second half of the book, chapters 4 through 6. Now, walk worthy. What Paul begins to talk about in chapter 4 is our reasonable response, our natural response to his investment of such riches into our lives. So the, the second theme, if you will, is launched with this verse, chapter 4, verse 1. 
Want to turn there? Chapter 4, verse 1. I, therefore, notice it says, the prisoner of the Lord. Again, I love it. It's, it's just such a dig. He doesn't mean it to be, but he's a prisoner, and he's saying, okay, now that I've shown you how rich we are, me being in jail and you being out there, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. You're wealthy now. Walk worthy. But it's really important that we do them in this order. See, before Paul ever gets to practical application, before he ever says, now I want you to walk worthy, what's he say? You are wealthy. He spends three chapters saying how wealthy God has made us, how blessed we are. And if you were here last uh, Sunday, if you weren't, you might want to get the the CD or, or listen online. We even saw it in the negative. What happens if you're unaware of how rich you are in Christ? We saw in Malachi that to be unaware, to be dull, that is blind to God's abundant kindness toward us, is a slippery slope to ungratefulness and actually downright disobedience. Okay, that's what happens when you're completely unaware of how God has been good to you. Conversely, though, I truly am confident that if we will really dig into this word and believe it, that we are blessed, that we are rich, I feel like by the time we get to chapter 4, we should be chomping at the bit to show our gratefulness by way of application. Okay? So, what do you say? You want to get started with our spiritual riches inventory? Okay, well, let's do it anyway. <laughs> We're going to look at the inventory that has been given to the Christian, okay? And if you notice the clever title, well, I call it clever, it's in inventory. Now, why is that? Well, because all of these riches are only found in Him, in Jesus. Matter of fact, let me show you that. I'll say the word in and you follow it with the word Him. Uh, look at verse 4. Just as He chose us in now look at verse 7. In we have redemption through His blood. Look at verse 10. That in the dispensation of the fullness of the times He might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in verse 11. In also we have obtained an inheritance. Verse 13. In you also trusted after you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation in whom, that's also in Him, in whom also... Having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. All of these riches are only found in Him. Nowhere else. If you're an unbeliever here this morning, I am so glad you're here so that you can see what's available to you this morning. But I need to be real clear with you. If you're an unbeliever, you need to know that at this moment, you are on the outside looking in. See, for the Christian, the treasures that we're going to talk about are already in the inventory. You're just, oh yeah, I didn't realize I had that. Okay, But for the unbeliever, this is not yet in your possession. But they can be. They are available in Him. Okay? Alright, here we go. Our spiritual riches inventory. Let's get a running start. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And here comes a list. Number 1, verse 4. Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. 
We're going to go back to the beginning of that verse in just a minute, but I want to show you what I think is blessing number one. It's the very beginning of all of it. Blessing number one, Christian, is that he chose you to make you innocent. All of the the blessings that we're going to look at today are going to have the word in in them somewhere. very first one is that he chose you to make you innocent before him. Let me look, read verse 4 again. Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame. That means without blemish, blot, or disgrace. Before Him in love. Now, there's I, at least three ways that you can look at this verse as I'm looking at it. There's one way that you can look at it which is condemning. There's one way you can look at it which is convicting. And that's good. There's one way that you can look at, at it which is comforting. I reject the first one for the Christian, but I embrace uh, numbers two and three. Here's here's what I'm getting at. Um, Let's let's talk about the condemning one. If you wanted to, if you came to church this morning and said, hey, I want to feel condemned. Here's how you should read this verse. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame. So why aren't you? Are you even saved? If, if he chose you to be holy and blameless before him, why do you keep sinning? Okay, that is the condemning uh, interpretation of this verse. Most of you know, but let me bring you up to speed if you, if you haven't heard this. There's a quick way to identify the condemning versus convicting. Okay, when Satan comes, he can use the same information that God has, and he can use it to condemn you. And that means to set you further away from God. But God can use the same information. And yes, it hurts, but he's, still, he's drawing you to him. Okay? I showed you the way that you can read that that's condemning. Here's the way that you can read it that's convicting. And this is a good thing. You could read it this way. That Paul is saying to you, brother, sister, look, God chose you in him before the foundation of the world. But he didn't choose you so that you could be free to sin, he chose you to be free from sin. Christian, he he chose you so that you could live a life that's set apart, holy, that's different from the rest of the world. Christian, he wants you not to settle for less. Maybe that's what some of you need to hear this morning. That he chose you to be different from the world. Not free to sin, but free from sin. Okay, that's interpretation number one, interpretation number two. But believe it or not, interpretation number three, I I think, is actually the, the most accurate. It's not condemning, it's not convicting, it is comforting. And I honestly think that it's the best that fits in our context. You guys remember, when you're looking at the Bible, context is king. Okay? It Whatever... Whatever's being said needs to fit in with the rest of the context of uh, the chapter that you're in, for instance. What is the context of our scripture here? Our spiritual inventory of blessings. Now, you see the words there before him in verse 4? It says that we should be holy and without blame before him. It's the language of a criminal before a judge. Okay, you comforted yet? No, not yet. But it means to be in, in the presence of one who, who can rightfully judge you. I think it will make sense. Let me read for you the New Living Translation. 
Verse 4 of the New Living Translation says, Long ago, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. The way he sees us. Verse 4, the NIV reads this way, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Honestly, I think what Paul is doing here is giving a spiritual blessing. I would put it number one because nothing happens unless this is true, guys. None of the other spiritual blessings that we're going to talk about are possible unless this is true. Christian, God chose you to, so that you could be innocent in his eyes. Yes, I, I understand and I, I uh, feel the same way you do. Practically, we still sin, right? Practically, we still have to die to our old flesh daily. Sometimes our old man rears his ugly head. Practically, we still sin, right? But positionally, that is judiciously, before the judge, in the eyes of the judge of heaven and earth, this scripture tells us that you are holy and blameless in his sight, in his eyes. You are, to take a word from Romans, justified. Just as if I had never sinned. Let me give you a refresher course again on the words justified and sanctified. Justified is that thing that happens the moment you're saved, where all of your sins are washed away and in his eyes, before him, standing before him, you are innocent. Sanctified, though, is it starts the same moment, but it, you're beginning a lifelong process of becoming like that which God already sees you. Justified, let me put it this way, is how you are in his eyes. Sanctified is what you are becoming in your actions. Justified is how you are already positionally. Sanctified is how you are becoming practically. Justified is how you are seen by the judge holy right now. But sanctified is you becoming more and more like the judge already sees you. Okay, so blessing number one, you were chosen to be innocent in his eyes. To stand before a holy and righteous God and actually be innocent. That's awesome. Spiritual blessing number two, you were chosen in advance. Matter of fact, back up to the beginning of that verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 4. It says, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, you were chosen in advance, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. The word chose is eklegomai. Listen, it means to choose one out of many, to choose one for one's self. Whenever I see that word, I don't know why, but my, my head goes to, I kind of picture myself as a mutt in the humane society. And God's walking through and going, wow, there's a, none of these are any good, but I'll take that one. We were chosen, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Christian, think about this. God had the whole world to choose from to take to himself. And he chose you. And it's in the aorist sense, which actually means it's done once and for all. 
Okay? He walked through the kennel and chose you once and for all to take home with Him. Now that alone to me is pretty stunning. It's a big blessing, but it gets better. Not only did He choose us, it says that He chose us from before the foundation of the world. The word world there is actually cosmos, and it means actually includes the whole universe. It means all of the arranged order of things. Okay, But what this means is then that before Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, before he spoke the worlds into existence, looking down through the corridors of time, he chose you to be saved. Maybe you've heard it said, uh, Spurgeon, I think, said, boy, I'm glad he chose me before he met me. (laughs) Don't know if he ever would have after, right? Now, when you start to think this through, it is just awesome that he chose you in advance. Do you ever wonder if sometime God regrets choosing you? Do you ever wonder if He's just this far from kicking you to the curb? If He's just exasperated with your sin? If He's like, what was I thinking? It's really important, guys. He chose you before he laid the foundation of the world. That took me to a place this week that I felt like is from the Lord. You guys remember in Luke 14, when Jesus is he's apparently trying to thin out the, the, the followers because he's saying some really hard stuff, and he says, look, if you want to follow me, you need to be willing to lay down your life, to forsake everything to follow me. You need to count the cost. Luke 14, let me read it to you, verse 28. For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it, lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. I don't know if you're tracking me here, but Jesus is very upfront about the cost of following him. Look, you need to lay it all down. If you want to follow me, you just need to to follow me and lay it all down. But have you ever thought about this? That you are his tower. He, He walked up and he said, I'm going to choose that one to be my building project. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You are His workmanship. You are His project. You are the tower that He's building. And before He laid the foundation of even the world, He counted the cost. He knows the end from the beginning. He knows every sin that you've committed and that you will commit He's done all of the math, and he's really a wise project manager. He knew from the get-go how much it was going to cost to pay your debt to bring this building project of his to completion. I don't know who needs to hear it, but maybe it's all of us this morning. Jesus, your project manager, is not grinding his teeth pacing the floor, wondering how in the world he's so under-budgeted for you. So what do you do? What do you do when you're convicted by your sin? Just repent. Let him get back to work on you. 
I mean, you talk about the riches here. We have someone who has who looked at us a million years ago and said, I will pay the tab for that one. So, blessing number one, he shows you to be innocent in God's eyes. Blessing number two, he shows you way in advance and he knew what he was getting. To me, the, the inventory, the spiritual inventory, just starts off with a, a bang. Christian, you are innocent, you are holy and blameless in God's eyes, and he chose you to be that way in advance. Number three, Third blessing, you are in the family. Look at verse 5. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5. Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. The word predestined means to predetermine, to decide beforehand. Now, this is the second time in two verses that Paul talks about God choosing in advance. Y'all, God, if, if you have given your life to Jesus, He chose you in advance. God chooses in advance. Now, I know probably some of you are thinking it's the, it's the age-old debate. What, God's sovereignty and how does, how does man have free will? How in the world do those things work together? We could spend the rest of today and the rest of 2011 discussing it, right? And debating it. Honestly, for the most part, I feel like it, it's a good exercise for our brains until they pop. <laughs> but for the most part, it's kind of a waste of time because the Bible says, the Bible teaches both. I promise you, the Bible teaches that God chooses from the foundation of the world. But the Bible also teaches that God, that, excuse me, that man is responsible for his choice. To accept or reject Jesus. You have that choice. And both are true. You say, but if God has the, the first choice, how can that be fair? That's not fair. I mean, what if God didn't choose me? Turn to John chapter 6. Again, our, our heads will explode if we spend too much time here. But I just want to help you. Interesting to me that... Um, when the scriptures talk about predestination, it's always to the saint as an encouragement so that you can be rock solid in your faith, right? And, okay, I'm in God's hands. I'm, I'm not going anywhere. It never talks to in, in predestination terms to the sinner. It never says, you are predestined to go to hell. It never says that. Okay? Um, it's not on my page, but as I was talking with somebody uh, on the break, I was like, maybe this is good for me to share with you again. In case you hadn't heard it, Spurgeon, I think... When in doubt, attribute it to Spurgeon. Um, <laughs> talks about free will, uh, the God's sovereignty, and, and the, the free will of man. It's like you look at uh, the, the doorway. Am I going to walk through that doorway? And it says, whosoever will may come. Okay, choice is mine. You walk through, then you turn around and you look at, on the other side of that doorway and it says, chosen before the foundation of the world. Okay, I don't know, that helps me, it may help you. What I want to show you John chapter 6, look at Jesus' words. I'm sorry, what did I say? John chapter 6? Sorry, I've I've moved my pages here. Here we go. John chapter 6, yes. Verse uh, 37. Jesus says, and notice how both things are true in just even this this one verse. Jesus says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. Okay? That's God's sovereignty. God gets to choose. He chose. All that the Father gives me will come to me. 
But, or and, the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. Well, look at that. That's the free, free offer. Free will of man. You get to choose. Hey, if you come to me, I promise you, I won't cast you out. Jesus promised, guys, if you come to him, he will by no means cast you out. There's going to be no one in hell saying, but that's not fair, you didn't choose me. It falls on you if you don't come to him. Well, you say, but what if I'm not part of the elect? Well, then I guess you won't come to him. But that's not fair. Well, then come to him. (laughs) But what if I don't want to? I guess you're not chosen. But you, you do get to choose. Right here, he says, just come to me. I will cast you out. And if you do, if you choose to come to Jesus, then you find your third blessing in your inventory is that you are in the family. Look at verse 5. Having predestined us to adoption. So awesome, Lee's prayer. It's great. Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself. Now, there are some people here today that probably you're very familiar with adoption. You've actually adopted someone into your family. Or maybe even better yet, you have the the real bird's eye view. You've been adopted into someone's family. You know what it's like to be outside and then to be brought in the family. Have you ever thought about this? That God could have saved you. He could have saved all of us without going to the trouble of adopting us. He could have rescued you, given you your own separate planet, your own place. Okay, that's your heaven. This is my heaven. Okay, let's just, we're good. I mean, say you come upon a homeless person today and you're feeling really generous. You give him all the money in your wallet. Okay, okay, maybe that's not much, but... Say you're feeling especially generous. You you want to take him home with you and give him a a shower, a hot shower and a nice meal. Let's say you're feeling extraordinarily generous. You want to pay off all his debts. Let's say you pound the streets to get him a job. All of that extraordinary kindness from you to one who has nothing to offer you back still falls way short of adoption. Adoption is where you take that beggar with nothing to offer and you say to him, I want you to be part of my family. For better or for worse. From this day forward, your debts are my debts. Your heartaches are my family's heartaches. It's like God saying, I'm officially signing up here to where all of your future bad decisions are my problem. God could have saved you, could have saved me from our sin. He could have paid our debts. He could have cleaned you up. He could have set set you up for eternal life and still not adopted you. He could have said to me, a guy with nothing to offer, look, I've set you up real well for the rest of your eternal life. Be blessed, my friend. God speed or me speed. I don't know. (laughs) He, He could have said, be well, my friend. I'll, I'll, I'll. Touch in with you, you know, every couple thousand years. He didn't do that. He adopted us. We could have been forgiven and yet left a very comfortable distance from his throne room. But instead, we get to say like Jesus did in the garden when he was the, the 
worst time of his life, Abba, Father. Romans chapter 8, we saw it. Galatians chapter 4 tells us that he wants us to call him Abba, Daddy. He wants that kind of intimacy with you and with me. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Listen, only the sons and daughters of a king just get to walk into his throne room unannounced. Hey, Dad. Daddy. That only happens when you are a son or a daughter. Maybe that's your application today. You have been adopted, Christian, by the Creator and the King of all. Maybe your application is to just walk right into His throne room today. Through prayer, to obtain mercy, to find the grace that you need to help you in this, your time of need. Maybe you say, but is that really okay with Him? I mean that we just barge into His throne room like that? Like sons and daughters rather than servants or slaves? Well, look at verse 5. Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. Good pleasure. Eudokia. It means goodwill, kindly intent, benevolence, delight, pleasure, satisfaction. Is it okay for you to just come into his throne room like a son or a daughter? Yes, he loves it that way. He chose you before you existed to be His, to be in His family, so that you could take all your concerns, your sins, your needs directly to Him. Talk about spiritual riches. Paul thinks so too. Apparently he's just flowing with gratitude. Look at verse 6. To the praise of the glory of His grace by which He made us accepted in the Beloved. Now that period, you see the period there at the end of verse 6? That's really helpful. Because we're going to stop here in our inventory, but we're going to be talking about this for for a little while here. But you need to know that that period there at the end of verse 6, it's really just, I think, to give us a break. Because verses 3 through 14, if you know anything about this particular passage of Scripture, I'm not sure, but I think that this is actually the longest run-on sentence in the Bible. And what's it talking about? Spiritual blessings. See, Paul gets so caught up in God's spiritual blessings, and he's in jail, by the way. He gets so caught up in God's spiritual blessings that it's like he never stops to take a breath. Here's an idea. You're looking for application today. Maybe you've started out 2011 and you feel particularly poverty-stricken. What if you did this? You started writing down, just like Paul's doing here, the blessings. That God's given you. I mean, he's talking about spiritual blessings, which are unbelievable. But you could even start with your earthly blessings. Uh, Let's see, i got a wife, a family, kids, forgiveness, uh, mercy. Got an awesome church. Awesome pastor. No. um, (laughs) Look, if if you just start to write down the things that are a blessing to you, you, I think you'll have the same problem that Paul has here. Every time we do the Thanksgiving things, where I'm like, hey, can you share for just three minutes? It's always like, yeah, I guess so. I hope I can do it. And they start to write. And then they're, they're like, are you serious? I only have three minutes? Because once you start listing them, it becomes obvious to you how blessed you are. So we're going to have to tackle this inventory in pieces. But let's try to tackle just one more blessing 
real quick, okay? Um, let me re- re- review for you and give you the last one for today. Christian, because of God's gift to you, Jesus, that is Jesus, His only begotten Son, here's part of your inventory. Not only are you innocent in His eyes, not only did He choose you in advance, not only did He bring you into His family, but you are accepted in the Beloved. You're accepted in the Beloved. Do you notice that the word Beloved, probably in most... uh, most versions there, it's capitalized. Because most scholars believe that it's talking about Jesus, the Beloved. Matthew 3.17, you remember at Jesus' baptism? He didn't have to be baptized, but he, he chose to be. He's coming up out of the water. Suddenly a voice came from heaven. The Father's voice comes and says, This is my Beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Remember the Mount of Transfiguration? Peter... He's talking a mile a minute. Somehow he has both feet in his mouth and he's still talking. Remember, he's like, hey, maybe we could do this, we could do this. And while he was still speaking, Matthew 17, 5, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, shut up, Peter. No. (laughs) But kind of the same effect because what he says is, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear Him. Not you, Peter. Him. I'm interested in hearing Him talk. He's my beloved. That's what the Father wants you to know about Jesus. Interesting. Just yesterday, I was reading in Genesis where God is testing Abraham, right? You remember those really poignant, foreshadowing words? Genesis 22, verse 2. God says to Abraham, Now take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom... You love. Take your beloved son, go to the land of Moriah, offer him there as a burnt offering. You guys know the rest of the story. God did not let Abraham go through with that. But God did give his only son, his beloved son, to pay for your sins, to pay for mine. And as a result, if you're a Christian, if you have received that gift, you are It says, accepted. You're accepted in His beloved Son. Look at verse 6 again. To the praise of the glory of His grace. What is grace? God's riches at Christ's expense. To the praise of the glory of His grace by which He made us accepted in the beloved. The word accepted, listen, it means to welcome, to be fond of, to love dearly. To be well-pleased, to be contented with someone or something. It means to be welcomed. That's probably the best word to put on it. To be accepted and loved. To be welcomed in the family. Y'all, I think we, in our heart of hearts, we, we really understand how important this word is. To be accepted. No one wants to be rejected or forsaken or forgotten. I didn't have them raise their hand in first service, but I think I will now. Has anybody ever been rejected from a group or a clique in your life? Probably for some of us, it's like, yeah, that was all of high school. All of junior high. Nobody wants to be rejected. We want to be welcomed. 
Now let me ask you another question. This time don't raise your hand. Do you remember though that maybe back in junior high and high school there may have been some that you rejected? Kind of kept outside the in crowd? Maybe because they were ugly? Or they were slow? Or maybe you even rejected them because they were mean? I mean, some people do earn their rejection, I guess, right? Fair and square. Here's my point. To a perfect God, if the Trinity is the clique, they're perfect. We've all earned our rejection. But if you are in the Beloved, if you are in Jesus, because of Him, you are accepted by a holy God. For whatever reason, whenever I see in Him, in Him, in whom, all of those, I don't know if it helps you, but it, it helps me. And that's what we're all here for. Now, um, I think of the stackable eggs, the little eggs that stack inside each other. For whatever reason, it helps me to think of myself in Jesus. And when God looks at me, when I'm in Jesus, He sees His beloved. And He accepts me. Christian, you are accepted. That means you're included in God's rich, warm acceptance. You're welcomed into the family. What's, what is our response to, to be to these things? We're going to find out our specific response in chapter 4. But in the meantime, here's what you can do. Twice now, I think, in between verses 3 and 6, it says, blessed be. It means to speak well of. You can speak well of this God who's given such glorious grace toward you. The, the great blessings that He's shown to you.